Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 199 of The Informed Catholic. 199 of The Informed Catholic. Now, before we begin, please subscribe and share. This would help my podcast grow, and it would keep inspiring me to keep improving and hopefully keep producing more content. So um, please subscribe and share. And let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, Guardian of the Church, pray for us. And St. Thomas More, pray for us. And St. Michael, the Archangel, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, uh, I'd like to read the um, reading for, um, the Gospel reading for this. This is going to be the first Sunday for Advent. We're in the first Sunday of Advent. And I want to read the scripture passage, which will be from St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, 33 to 37. Be watchful. You do not know when the Lord of the house is coming. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus said to his disciples, Be watchful. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man traveling abroad. He leaves home and places his servants in charge, each with his own work, and orders the gatekeepers to be on the watch. Watch, therefore, you do not know when the Lord of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight, or at cockcrow in the morning. May he not come suddenly and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. And um, today I have an article from Church Militant. Um, Pope uses Jew-hating press to bash freedom. This is by Jules Gomes from Church Militant, November 28th, 2020. Friends, Francis, Pope Francis, pens pro-lockdown op-ed for Holocaust-hiding New York Times. New York Churchmilitant.com. A day after the U.S. Supreme Court struck down restrictions on worship, Pope Francis has launched a, a vaduperative assault on personal freedom. Sorry, I mispronounced that word. Uh, a vatu operative assault on personal freedom, publishing his incent incentive against anti-lockdown Jews and Catholics in the in a, a virtually anti-Semitic New York Times. The Pontiff's Thanksgiving Day op-ed smeared Wuhan virus lockdown protesters as people who find it all too easy to take the idea of personal freedom and turn it into an ideology, creating a prism through which they judge everything, commanding most governments 
commending most governments for acting responsibly and imposing strict measures to, in, to contain the outbreak, Pope Francis condemned some exceptions of some governments that shrugged off the painful evidence of, uh, of mounting deaths with inevitable grievous consequences. The pontiff attacked anti-lockdown protesters for refusing to keep their distance, marching against travel restrictions, as if measures that government must impose for the good of their people constitute some kind of political assault on autonomy or personal freedom. Urging readers to look to the common good as much more than the sum of what is good for individuals, Francis, Pope Francis, called for solidarity as a solid foundation for building a better, different human future. Sounds like the Great Reset. Catholics and Jews blasted Pope Francis for showing contempt towards the U.S. judicial process while teaming up with a rapidly left-wing Jew-hating newspaper to attack freedom of religion and assembly. Why is Pope Francis writing for an anti-Semitic newspaper that has consistently baited Jews for decades? Jewish anthropologist and columnist Karen Haradin Her uh, asked, not only does the New York Times publish anti-Semitic cartoons, which wouldn't look, which wouldn't look out of place in a Darstrumer, I guess that's a must be a news, uh, Nazi newspaper or something, but they also hound Jewish journalists out of their jobs, Harridan said in a comments to Church Militant. In April, the Times outraged Jews after it published a cartoon showing Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as a guide dog wearing a Star of David on his collar and leading a blind Trump wearing wearing a um, Jewish yarmulke skull cap. I remember that one. That was I couldn't believe it. That was really shocking. In July, editor Barry Weiss resigned from the New York Times after colleagues called her a Nazi and a racist because of her support for Israel. Huh. That's an unusual thing. Wow. The, for supporting Israel, she's a racist and a Nazi. Well, the paper also cheers on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio's prejudicial and anti-Semitic targeting of Orthodox Jews in New York City, noted Harriton. Okay, we're going to read that again. Sorry about that noise. Uh Okay, in the paper also, uh, also cheers on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio, traditional and systematic targeting of Orthodox Jews in New York City, noted Harridan. The observant Jewish writer elaborated, in a heinous tradition of scapegoating Jews, Cuomo and de Blasio blame Orthodox Jews for the spread of COVID-19 and lambast them for having the temerity to come together to pray to God. Yet these two uh, Democrat politicians and the New York Times championed the summer Black Lives Matter protest, despite these attracting thousands more than a Brooklyn synagogue or, uh, or a park 
um, av- uh, park ever does, the New York park ever does. The, bl- uh, the Black Lives Matter is anti-Semitic, neo-Marxist organization with a core hatred of Israel is another blight on the New York Times anti-Semitism record. If Pope Francis wants to promote himself as an interfaith peacemaker, then writing for anti-Semitic New York Times is the wrong way to go about this, Harridan remarked. Historians have recorded the New York Times systematic anti-Semitism with Laura's lefts buried by the Times, the Holocaust and America's most important newspaper. It details how news of the Nazis' final solution was hidden from the Times readers and because the newspaper's profound influence on other media from the larger American public. So, yeah, they, there's a history of uh, accusations that they hid that during World War II of what was happening in Europe from the, uh, the greater American population. Left's book, published by Cambridge University Press, examines the many decisions that were made up and down the chain of command at the Times, decisions that ultimately resulted in the minimizing and misunderstanding of modern history's worst genocide. Left's probes the assimilationist desire of the Jews' owner of the time to evade dealing with the uniquely Jewish nature of the genocide. Lockdowns versus freedom. Speaking to church militant, Italy's eminent Catholic uh, epidemiologist, Dr. Paolo Gislono, expressed bewilderment at Pope Francis' endorsement of the decision taken by many European governments who went as far as closing churches to prevent masses. Professor uh, Galiciano lamented, there is not a word from the Pope in support of religious freedom or freedom of worship, a concept the church always defends against persecutions. Instead, Francis speaks of an elusive common good that is superior to the individual good and freedom of the individual. From a medical point of view, it isn't clear why the Bishop of Rome should endorse choices that led to the lockdown when instead there is a, there is scientific evidence that say that the virus can be fa- uh, faced and can be treated without the su- suffocating co- constraints. The lockdown is not only is is not the only solution on the contrary it appears to be the worst solution Galiciano asked if the pontiff had taken into account the disabled and elderly in retirement homes who are increasingly victims of isolation and therapeutic abandonment as a result of lockdowns the celebrated essayist also noted that pope francis op-ed was an adaptation of a book that the Pope wrote in the form of an interview with English journalist Austin Avery. In a 5-4 to four decision, the Supreme Court ruled the restrictions at issue here by effectively barring many from attending religious service strikes at the very heart of the First Amendment's guarantee of religious liberty. Even in a pandemic, the Constitution cannot be put away and forgotten, the decision stressed. Four Catholic justices on the Supreme Court, Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, 
Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, supported by Episcopalian Neil Gorsuch, who was brought up Catholic, ruled in favor of religious freedom. A commenter, a commentator noted that Barrett had not, not towed the line of a papal dictate despite Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein's notable accusation against the faithful Catholic using the words, the dogma lives loudly within you. The ruling responded the ruling responded to complaints filed by the Orthodox Jewish Agudath Israel of, of America and the Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn against the three color coronavirus risk system New York Governor Cuomo instituted through executive order in early October. Catholics who watch a mass at home cannot receive communion and there are important religious traditions in the Orthodox Jewish faith that require personal attendance, the justice justices ruled. Who knew public health would be so perfectly aligned with secular convenience? Justice Gorsuch wrote in a separate opinion asking why the coronavirus should affect religious services more than a, than secular establish, establishments like liquor stores and uh, acupunctures, which are allowed to remain open. At the flick of a pen, they, the governors, have asserted the right to, to prevail restraints, uh, I mean, to, uh, to privilege, the right to privilege uh, restaurants, marijuana, dispensaries, and casinos over churches, mosques, and temples, he noted, a distinction that Pope Francis failed to make in his op-ed. Interesting. This is, like I said, this is an extremely complex, complicated, disturbing Pope. Unbelievable. I mean, it really, it really, um, it's really disturbing. I mean, every time he, he really is a, um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. He really, he, he, he shocks you. He shocks everyone with, with his, um, the way he thinks he really is. He really believes in the power of the secular state. Wow, it's I mean it's remarkable. Um like I've said it before, I find Pope Francis very difficult to connect to. Extremely difficult and I find him um it's amazing. I just made a link here to um an article which about the New York Times. We're going to look into it. All right. All right, I've came across, it's better I'm going to read the New York Times opinion. Pope Francis, a crisis re re reveals what is in our hearts. And this is the uh, article, the um, piece that Pope Francis wrote. All right, let's begin. In this past year of change, my mind and my heart have overflowed with people. People I think of and pray for and sometimes cry with. People with names and faces. People who died without saying goodbye to those they loved. 
families in difficulty, even going hungry because there is no work. Sometimes when you think globally, you can be paralyzed. There are so many places of, a, of apparently ceaseless conflict. There is so much suffering and need. I find it helps to focus on concrete situations. You see faces looking for life and love. In the reality, each person of each people you see ho uh, see hope written in the in the story of every nation. Glorious because it's a story of daily struggle, of lives broken in self-sacrifice. So rather than overwhelm you, it invi it invites you to ponder and to respond with hope. There are m many moments in life. These are moments in life, I'm sorry, these are moments in life that can be ripe for changes and conversion. Each of us has had our own stoppage, or if we haven't yet, we will someday. Illness, the failure of marriage or a business, some great disappointment or betrayal. As in the COVID-19 lockdown, these moments generate a tension, a crisis that reveals what is in our hearts. In every, in every personal COVID, so to speak, in every stoppage, what is re revealed is what needs to change. A lack of internal freedom, the, the, the idols we have been serving, the ideologies we have tried to live by, the relationship we have neglected. When I got really sick at the age of 21, I had my first experience of of limit, of pain and loneliness. It changed the way I saw life. For months, I didn't know who I was or whether I would live or die. The doctors had no idea whether I'd make it either. I remember hugging my mother and saying, just tell me if I'm going to die. I was in the second year of training for the priesthood in the diocese seminary of Buenos Aires. I remember the date August 13th, 1957, I got taken to a hospital by a, by a, per, a prefect who realized mine was not the kind of flu you treat with aspirin. Just straightway, they took a liter and a half of water out of my lungs, and I remained there fighting for, for my life. The following November, they operated to take out the upper right lobe of one of the lungs. I have... Uh, lungs. I have some sense of how people with COVID-19 feel as they struggle to breathe on a ventilator. I remember especially two nurses from this time. One was the senior ward matron, a Dominican sister who had been a teacher in Athens before being sent to Buenos Aires. I learned later that following the first examination by the doctor after he, after he left, she told the nurse, she told nurses to double the dose of medications he had prescribed. Basically, penicillin and streptamin. I'm guessing that's more pronouncing because she knew from experience I was dying. Sister Cornelia Caragolio saved my life because of her regular contact with sick, pe sick people. She understood better than the doctor what they needed and she had the courage to act on her own knowledge. Another nurse, 
Michaela did the same when I was in the intense pain, strict, secretly prescribing me extra doses of painkillers outside of my due times. Cornelia and uh, Michaela are in heaven now, but I always, I'll always owe them so much. They fought for me to the end until my eventual recovery. They told, they taught me what it was to use science, but also to know when to go beyond, beyond it to meet particular needs. And the serious illness I lived through taught me to depend on the goodness and wisdom of others. This theme of helping others has stayed with me these past months. In lockdown, I have often gone in prayer to to those who sought all means to save the lives of others. So many of the nurses, doctors, and caregivers paid that price of love, together with the priests and religious and ordinary people whose vocations were service. We returned to their love by grieving for them and honoring them. Whether or not they, they were conscious of it, their choice choices testify to a belief that it's better to live a shorter life serving others than a longer one resisting that call. That's why in many countries, people stood at their windows or on their door, doorsteps to applaud them in gratitude and awe. They are the saints next door who have awakened something important in our hearts, making credible once more what we desire to install, to instill by our preaching. They're, they are the antibodies to the virus of indifference. They remind us that our lives are a gift and we grow by giving of ourselves, not preserving others by losing ourselves in service. With some exceptions, gov governments have made a great effort to put the well-being of their people first, acting decisively to protect health and to save lives. The exceptions have been some have been some government uh, exceptions have been that some governments that struggled off the painful evidence of mounting deaths with inevitable grievous consequences but most governments acted responsibly imposing strict measures to contain the outbreak yet some groups pro protested refusing to keep their distance here here's the good part Yet some groups protested, refusing to keep their distance, marching against travel restrictions, as if measures that the government must impose for the good of their people constitute some kind of political assault on autonomy or personal freedom. Looking to the common good is much more than the sum of what is good for individuals. It means having a regard for all citizens and seeking to respond effectively to the need of the need of the least fortunate. It is all too easy for some to take an idea, in this case, for example, personal freedom, and to turn it into an ideology, creating a prism through which they judge everything. The coronavirus crisis may seem special because it affects most of the humankind, but it is special only in how it how visible it is. There are thousands other crises that are just as, just as dire, but are just far enough for some of us that we can act as if they don't exist. Think, for example, of the wars scattered across different parts of the world, of the production 
and trade and weapons of the hundreds and thousands of refugees fleeing poverty, hunger, and lack of opportunity of lack of opportunity of climate change. These tragedies may seem distant from us as part of the daily news that sadly fails to move us to change our agendas and priorities. But like the COVID-19 crisis, they affect the whole of humanity. Look at us now. We put on face masks to protect ourselves and others from a virus we, can see, we can't see. But what about all those other unseen viruses we need to protect ourselves from? How will we deal with the hidden pandemics of this world, the pandemics of hunger, violence, and climate change? If we are to come out of this crisis less selfish than we, than we went in, we have to let ourselves be touched by others, others' pain. There's a line in Frederick Haldren's Hyborian that speaks to me about how the danger that threatens in a crisis is never total. There is always a way out. Where the danger is also grows the saving power. That's the genius in the human story. That's always a way to escape destruction. Where, man, where humankind has to act is precisely there in the threat itself. That's where the door opens. This is a moment to dream big, to rethink our priorities, what we value, what we want, what we seek, and to commit to an act in our daily life and, we ha and what we have dreamed of. God is asking us to dare to create something new, we cannot return to the false securities of the political and economic system we had before the crisis. We need econ economies that give to all access to the fruits of creation, to the basic needs of life, to land, lodging, and labor. We need a po politics that can integrate and, di and dialogue with the poor, the excluded, and the vulnerable that gives people to say in, this, in the decisions that affect their lives. We need to slow down and take stock and design better and design better ways of living together on this, in the, on this earth. The t pandemic has exposed the paradox that while we were, are more connected, we are also more divided. Feverish consumerism, fever, feverish, feverish, Consumer breaks the bonds of belonging. It causes us to focus on our self-preservation and makes us anxious. Our fears are exuberated and exploited by a certain kind of populist politics. That's an attack against Trump that seeks power over society. It is hard to build a culture of encounter in which we meet people, we meet as people with a, a shared dignity within a throwaway culture that regards as the well-being of the elderly, the unemployed and the disabled and the unborn as preferable to our own well-being. Hold on, let me go back again. Our fears are exacerbated and exploited by a certain kind of populist politics that seeks power over society. It is hard to build a culture of encounter in which we meet as people with a shared dignity within a throwaway culture, a throwaway culture that regards the well-being of the elderly, the unemployed, the disabled, and the unborn as preferable to our own well-being. 
To come out of this crisis better, we have to recover the knowledge that as a people we have shared destination. The pandemic has reminded us that no one is saved alone. What ties to one another is what we commonly call solidarity. Solidarity is more than acts of generosity, important as they are. It is the call to embrace the reality that we are truck outside. Sorry. The the solidarity is more than acts of generosity, important as they are. It is the call to embrace the reality that we are bound by bonds of reciprocity. On this solid foundation, we can build a better, different human nature. Ah, Pope Francis. Well, and honestly, it doesn't speak to me. I mean, it's all globalist, and I don't disagree on some things he says, but I disagree on the fact that we surrender our liberty. That's our religious liberty, and he doesn't he doesn't condemn the fact that a lot of people went out celebrating, right, uh, or protests. The Black Lives Matter people did they ignored social distancing, Antifa. He didn't condemn the violence. He didn't condemn the destruction of people's property. And how are we supposed to recover if we don't have an economy? How, how are we supposed to recover and build again if everybody loses everything? People lose their business, their livelihood, and people don't have jobs. What, depend on, uh, on, on stimulus packages over and over again? No. George Soros is not going to write a stimulus package. He's going to keep giving funding Black Lives Matter and uh, Southern Law, Poverty Law Center and Antifa. And he'll, he'll fund whatever globalist and population control people. All right. The man who's, who now basically believes he owns Pope Francis. Disagree. I'm sorry, but I disagree with the Holy Father greatly. I mean, he... Fine, he wrote this, fine. But he doesn't mention Christ. He doesn't quote the Gospels. He doesn't say a single thing. Give up your freedom. Give up your freedom. Give up your religious freedom, your freedom to worship. Very easy for him. We didn't have Easter in 2020. We didn't have Pentecost in 2020. Right? But, oh no. He can, he can, he can meet Jeffrey Sachs. He can have uh, economic meetings. He can meet NBA basketball players, right? His uh, economic meeting he had recently, some forum, uh, uh, they had to have it th through Zoom or some kind of uh, one of those fancy things, and nobody dropped in. And then he meets basketball players, right? Oh, and climate change. Notice how he mentioned climate change over and over again. Well, you know what? He, he has a right to his own opinion, but none of us have to agree with it. All right, so the next article, Supreme Court protects churches, blocks any lockdown restrictions. This is by Christine Niles. I might have done this article, but I'm going to do it again. Washington. 
In a victory for religious freedom, the U.S. Supreme Court has handed down an order temporarily blocking New York Times locked on restrictions on houses of worship. An order issued on November 25th, the day before Thanksgiving, fantastic uh, symbolism there, I think, enjoins New York's Governor Andrew, Andrew Cuomo for enforcing his recent executive order imposing strict occupancy limits on Catholic churches and temples in areas hardest hit by the Wuhan virus. The opinion addresses two separate cases with similar issues, Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn versus Cuomo and Agathath Israel versus Cuomo. Uh, the Ar Roman Catholic Archdiocese, the bishop is Demarzio. The Diocese of Brooklyn and several Orthodox Jewish synagogues sued Cuomo, are arguing that the lockdown re restrictions made it impossible for them to exercise their religious faith. Cuomo's October 6 cluster initiative limited in-person worship to only 10 or 25 people, depending on the level of infection in the area. The guidelines particularly angered the Orthodox Jewish community, which held protests in the streets with one of their most prominent rabbis, even categorizing Cuomo's actions as a soft pogrom against Jews. We'll look that up. In its November 25th opinion, the Supreme Court highlighted the targeting of religious communities and the double standard. Both the diocese and Agathoth Israel maintain that the regulations treat houses of worship much more harshly than comparable to secular facilities in a red zone, while a synagogue or church may not admit more than 10 persons businesses categorizes as essential may admit as many people as they wish. The court noted th that essential businesses include campgrounds, car cars, garages, uh, car garages, acupuncture services, even, even businesses not considered essential, chemical manufacturing plants, and transportation facilities. The heart of the, of the opinion is contained in the following lines. Members of this court are not public health experts, and we should respect the judgments of those with special expertise and responsibility in this area. But... Even in a pandemic, the Constitution cannot be put away and forgotten. The restrictions at issue here, by effectively barring many from attending religious services, strike at the very heart of the First Amendment's guarantee of religious liberty. The court splits five to four, with Justice Amy Coney Barrett joining the other four reliably conservative justices. Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh. It is her first vote in a significant case since being confirmed on October 26. Interesting. Chief Justice John Roberts, a Catholic, and the unpredictable swing vote sided with the liberal bloc 
admitting that the restrictions limiting worship to 10 or 25 people do seem unduly restrictive. Roberts argued that the issues is now moat, as Cuomo has already relaxed the guidelines to allow a maximum capacity of 50 percent. Uh, that was a cop out. The liberal justices who dissented, Stephen Breyer, Elena Kagan, and Sonia Sotomayor, also admitted that the numbers of people allowed to worship are indeed low, but insufficient to determine whether they violate the Constitution. Again, a cop out by these people. But whether in a present circumstances, those low numbers violate the Constitution's free exercise clause is far from clear. Brer wrote, the Supreme Court order is temporary, pen pending the lawsuit's appeals before the court. If the courts decide not to take the cases, the order will terminate immediately. It is more likely, however, that the high court will accept the cases and legal ana analysts predict the final ruling will be the same, five to four in favor of protecting religious liberty. That was uh, interesting. All right, so let's listen to this. I hope I can get it. All right, hold on. This is in Brooklyn, a protest. And Jews protesting. I see Trump signs. Blue Lives Matter. Please get you to suffer. You are our friends. Yes. The boss is not your friend. Yes. The boss is a Hitler and Nazi. We are so. This is a protest in Brooklyn. October 8th, now. All right, so they were shouting um, Blue Lives Matter, and they were saying to uh, the police, you know, we, you know, we support you. Uh, they were calling de Blasio and Cuomo a, a Hitler. <laughs> that was interesting. Um, you know, you see, you see how, um, how very divided everybody's been. And of course, we just, read what Pope Francis says, which is very interesting. All right, let's look at another article here. Hold on. All right, this is from ABC News. It's a little short thing here. Brooklyn, um, Brooklyn, New York Hasidic rabbi, Hillel Handler, outspoken anti-vaccine leader who fought two can, uh, who fought to convince parents not to give their children the measles vaccine speaks against Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio for their treatment of New York Jews and begs for President Trump and his Department of Justice to help protect the First Amendment, which he says is being attacked by New York Governor Cuomo and New York City Mayor de Blasio. Let's see what he says here. I, I played this before. I'm talking with uh, Rabbi Handler, 
Um, are you aware of what Governor Cuomo just said an hour ago? Yes, I, I, I saw the information that you cannot have more than 10 people in shul. Um, what's happening right now is we are being subjected to a soft pogrom. It's called the slicing the salami technique. Every day they slice another slice and they push us to the wall and they bully us. I don't think that the Haskanan and many of the Rabbanim are aware of what's going on. Rabbi Yitzhak David Smith is aware and he made a video and warned us about it. So I'm going to explain what's going on. But first, I want to start off by making an appeal to the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, who's always been nice to Jews, and to his Attorney General, Mr. Barr. We have no representation here in New York State. We have no television. Why is it called working from home? It should be called working from junk closet. Right, thousand people died. Was 40% was, was in nursing homes, directly due to Governor Cuomo and to his doctor Mengele, Howard Zucker, who works for him, takes his orders. We have a mayor in this city who is a communist, a leftist communist, who has no regard for business people. He allowed rioters to destroy Macy's, destroy all the stores on Fifth Avenue, Madison Avenue. He did not let the police stop them, looting, destruction, firebombs. And to this very day, they're under threat. People in the stores are being robbed. In the stores, there are people wilding in the stores. I have that information. So I appeal to you, President Trump and Attorney General Barr, we have no protection here. Uh, the city is totally, totally anarchy, in, anarchy, in a state of anarchy. You have already proclaimed that New York City is a city that is in terror. And now we'd like you to take action and do something to sue the mayor and sue the governor and stop them from conducting this soft pogrom against our community. We're not being allowed to pray in our synagogues. You've already taken action in Washington, D.C. to protect the churches there from the mayor over there. And we'd like you to come here and do the same thing. We are not allowed uh, to open our schools and our yeshivas and our Beisakov schools for our girls. We're being deprived of an education. Our children are wandering the streets and being destroyed. In Jew Jewish thought, this is called Pikuach Nefesh. Godol Hamachtio Yosem in To kill a person spiritually is worse than to kill him physically. And our children are being killed spiritually by these restrictions, by these lockdowns. And the governor says that, well, it's because I love you. The mayor says, it's tough love. We love the Jewish community. We're doing it for your own good. Oh, really? You're doing it for our own good? Everybody knows. Uh, Dr. Gupta of Oxford University has stated very clearly with her two colleagues around the world, masks do not work. The pores in the mask, the pores in this mask are 400 times larger than the size of the virus. How can they possibly filter the virus? When you put on the mask, there's holes on top, holes on the bottom, holes on the side. This mask is junk. It's garbage. It's BS. 
What is the purpose of the mask? The purpose of the mask is to get you to comply, to scare you. Hermann Goering of the Third Reich was asked at the Nuremberg trial, how did you get the German people to do this terrible, horrible holocausts? He says, it's easy. You just scare them. You inflict terror. The mask is a tool of terror. You look around you, everybody's wearing a mask. Oh, God, our lives are in danger. We have to do whatever the governor says, whatever the mayor says, and your mind is frozen. You can't think straight. Who is this governor who cares about us? This is the man who made a, a regulation, an executive order, a dictatorial executive order. Nursing homes in New York State must take in people from the hospitals who are stricken with COVID-19 and bring them into a population of vulnerable people who are weak, who haven't got strong immune systems. He was warned by emails from the nursing home operators, you're going to kill our people. Don't do it. And he said, if you, he had a, he had a conference call with his, his Dr. Mengele, Howard Zucker, if you don't follow my executive order, you're going to lose your license. I'm going to take away your business. You'll be poor. You'll be impoverished. And so under blackmail, they followed his orders, and 40% of the deaths in New York State, over 11,000 elderly people, died. Not died, they were murdered, intentionally. There was only one nursing home operator in New Jersey where they also made a similar law, an Orthodox Jew, who asked his rabbi and said, should I comply with this law? They're going to kill my people. He said, no, you have no right to make a living by killing your people. If they take away a license, so be it. So he did not listen. He defied the governor. And you know what? He was the only nursing home in New Jersey where no one died because he cared about human life and he respected his rabbi who told him that he must not murder people. And so that's the governor, mass murdering psychopath. He wants, he cares about us, he loves us. If you believe that, then I have a bridge in Brooklyn that I would like to sell you for a very good price. It's called the Brooklyn Bridge. Okay. All right. We'll leave it there. You see, that's a very interesting one. I like the the uh, understanding of what the soft po pogrom is. Slicing, a, slicing the salami. <laughs> that's Brooklyn for you. <laughs> and uh, he'll sell you a Brooklyn Bridge if you believe everything Cuomo and de Blasio tells you. All right. So let's check out something else. Okay, so this is from November 24th by Jules Gomes, Church Militant. Pope Francis uh, Woodstock turns into public relations disaster. Media fiasco sinks the economy of Francisco. Assisi, Italy. Pope Francis' conference on economics has suffered a public relations disaster after not a single major secular media reported substantively on the three-day uh, meeting. The mainstream media, hugely supportive of the pontiff's left-wing policies, almost entirely disregarded the Vatican's hyped-up economy of Francisco, which was held online from November 19th to 21st. The young economists 
for young economists and entrepreneurs. The celebrity speakers hosted by Pope Francis, many who are well known for their controversial position on globalism, abortion, population control, anti-capitalism, economics, climate change, and open borders, gained few column inches in the news media for the Vatican's publicity machine. Secular scribes and pundits simply ignored media-savvy presenters like economist Jeffrey Sachs, eco-feminist Vandania Sheba, pantheist ex-priest Leonardo Puff, anti-property rights political theorist Jennifer Nadelsky, and Nobel Peace Prize winner Mohammed Yonas. Instead, during the Economy of Francisco Symposium, media outlets from left-wing British newspapers, The Guardian the, uh, to the United States CNN television networks, were chasing a story of leisurely-clad Brazilian model who got a like from Pope Francis' Instagram account. Okay, Pope Francis, what have you been up to? The Vatican said it was investigating how a photograph of model Natalia Garboto, who was dressed in revealing schoolgirl-style undergarments, was liked by Francis' Francis' verified account. Really? Naughty boy. Church militants spoke to the economy of Francisco Press Office, created especially to last... uh, liaison with media inquiring why there was so little coverage of the conference by mainstream media despite the presence of a prominent personalities and the relevance of the topics on economics and ecology. Roberto Picello, head of the economy of Francisco Press Bureau in Assisi, did not respond to our query. Church militants spoke to veteran journalists and commentators asking him to assist the media fiasco that uh, tripod at the papal gap fest. Damien Thompson, associate editor of The Spectator, the world's oldest weekly magazine, explained how Pope Francis attempts to force the church to adopt naive and outdated socialist ideology, blindly hostile to free markets, and have become an embarrassment even to the liberal elites whose approval he seems to crave. The economy of Francisco is directed at young people and embodies the most juvenile prejudices of middle-class Western millennials. One or two fairly distinguished people have been induced to take part, irrespective of the fact that they are passionately opposed to Catholic teaching on the sanctity of life, Thompson observed. But other speak, speakers are distinguished only by the populist fa, uh, fa, uh, fac, faculty, of their, uh, faculty of their views. Thompson noted a citing the example of Dr. Vendana Shiva, a pseudoscientist who attempts to marry Hindu tradition with crazy authoritarian socialism. Thompson elaborated Sheba's arguments that farmland should not be private property and her description of farmers as rapists is worthy of Stalin or Mao, 
her claim to be a quantum physicist is laughed at in the scientific community because she's no she's no such thing but she is welcome at the vatican's because the astonishing credity of her thinking credibility of her thinking capitalism takes from society without giving back mary is that of francis himself likewise her near deification of mother earth an alarming theme in the pope's recent statements yielding uh, derating the economy of francisco as a talking shop for left-wing ideologues and other assorted fruitcakes thompson present presenter of the holy Sm uh, smoke podcast on religious uh, on religion explained how the liberal media bias as it is in favor of Francis could find nothing here that qualified as news. Perhaps at long last, they are waking up to the fact that the current successor, Peter, is a waste of their time and space, Thompson remarked. Even Pope Francis' message urging economists to involve the poor in a post-coronavirus rebuilding ra rallied on their final day of the conference was reported by few mainstream media outfits. Francis in insisted on the poor being invited to participate in discussions about creating a different econo economic narrative, noting that the world ne needed to be accepted strictly, that the poor have sufficient dignity to sit at our meetings, participate in our discussions, and bring bread to their own tables. If Pope Francis dreamed of being hailed by the world's media as a visionary leader among the globalist elite, then he has been dealt a serious blow by their total lack of interest in his economy of Francisco. Columnist um, Dick Donnelly told Church Militant, "It has failed to gain traction as the Pope, as the Pope's Davos, and not, and now just looks embarrassing. A possible reason for this failure to impress the twenty-four-seven news juggernaut is its." Repetition of mediocre platitude, Donnelly noted, jokingly referring to the event as the Pope's Woodstock. Donnelly also observed that Pope Francis, embroiled in the deepening scandal of Vatican financial chicanery, be it called Cardinal Bocchio or, or secret deals with China, has lost has lost authority to talk about a subject that the world takes with deadly seriousness money hmm mainstream media led led by left-wing washington post returned to reporting on pope francis after the pontiff hosted a monday meeting with players from america's national basketball association the nba in the papal library of the apostolic Pal uh, palace the meeting provided the opportunity for players to discuss their individual and collective efforts of addressing social and economic injustice and inequality occurring in their communities as nba statement specified these guys probably don't even know how to spell the word pope Editor in the stream, John Zemerick, told Church Milton he wasn't surprised that journalists and police policymakers have shown no interest in the Vatican's latest attack on natural law.
logical thinking, and Catholic tradition. Zemeric remarked, This silent auction has been going on for years now, and those who wish to sell their souls now face a buyer's market. They only get pennies on their dollars. So my advice to the is that they keep them. Who knows? Their souls might come in handy someday, or at any rate, the price might be inch back to it to it to take up a bit. Hmm. The Vatican's efforts to promote the event also flopped. The economy of Francisco meeting broadcast live to a hundred and twenty countries with remarkable technical deployment, which included simultaneous trans translation into various languages, never reached an audience or proportional to the magnitude of the event. Giulio Laredo, Milan director of traditional of tradition, family property, told Church Militant, the Pope's message had a message uh, had a meager five thousand clicks. It means that not so many people are listening to Francis. The media coverage was also also blew what one would have expected, given the significance of the organizers. Professor Laredo noted. Noted, Catholic establishment media reported on the economy of Francisco with the Italian Episcopal Conference newspaper. Uh, uh, Avenir, Avenir provided providing regular reports and commentary on the papal event. Well, I mean, it's true. I mean, first of all, I don't think people care to listen to something like this. It's obvious. All right. Let's see if we can get something here. La storia ci insegna che non ci sono sistemi né crisi in grado di annullare completamente la capacità. All right, it's all him. He's basically it's Pope Francis, so we're not going to bother. We're going to skip that part. <laughs> well, it's it's obvious. I think this is going to be a very disappointing papacy. And I think, uh, yeah, I think, you know, he's an old uh, Woodstock attitude mentality. And I think maybe he really he really doesn't understand that the strength of the church that he, he ignores for some reason the young Orthodox Catholics, which are the future, you know, um, more conservative families, people who are practicing Christians have more kids than that of the liberals. Some liberals don't have children and Orthodox families like conservative Catholics, practicing Catholics. These are not just people who who just say they're Catholic, but they really do live and practice the faith are the strength in the future. But Pope Francis and many of these liberals don't see it because they've been blinded to believe that progressivism is the future. They, they want to be liked. Pope Francis wants to be liked. He wants, you know, he thinks, he thinks he knows what the answer is. And unfortunately he doesn't because Men like him have distanced themselves from the faith. 
men like him have chosen to think that the faith is no longer relevant, that the faith has to look more relevant, more modern. And he's wrong. As the world becomes more and more secular, more and more people are turning to something. Um, they're turning away from that. They want tradition. They want something that um, speaks to their, their, you know, that, that is timely, that is eternal, that is immortal. They want tradition. They want custom. They want sacred rituals. They want things that give meaning. They want to see, they, know, they, they, they want something that is not, that's not about clicking. It's not about liking. It's not about um, how many likes you have, how many hits you have. They want something that gives meaning to their lives. They don't want political correctness. They don't want globalism. They don't want um, censorship of language. They want something that is eternal, immortal, timely. They want something that connects them with God. They want God. And they don't, you know, secularism, political correctness, wants to drive God out of people's lives. And um, I'm afraid Pope Francis um, is of that generation that has you know, has stuck on to it, has stuck on to, to globalism and everything. They, um, they, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think a lot of them really believe the faith. I think a lot of them have blinded themselves with political correctness. He, they just don't understand it. All right. I'm going to end it here and, uh, we'll be back next time with, um, know more uh, you know, I'll try to keep up with uh, what's going on with the election and everything so God bless and uh, you know uh, pray your rosary and um, you know maybe for Advent just read you know read the gospel start with the gospel of Mark uh, it's shorter and um, you know and um, read the Psalms Psalms as well all right God bless and be well